I've experienced betrayal in my marriage. Should I attend group? What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Therapy Brothers Podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm Tyler. We're brothers. We're therapists. We're not afraid of your questions. So bring it. It's a great question. Um, before we answer that question and introduce our guest we got today, um, I'm going to read a quick review here. So it says, amazing info. Love this podcast. I originally found Brandon on his other podcast, and I really enjoy Tyler's perspective. The more personal examples, um, and that while some of their advice is very betrayal and addiction related, not all of it is. Uh, today's episode is. Uh, <laughs> their advice helps so much for everyday situations too. So grateful for the effort they put in. Thank you for helping me take the steps toward living a better, healthier life. Awesome. Thank you for your reviews. We appreciate them. It's a way that we kind of continually try to change our show to make it better and also help reach more people. So really appreciate you sharing that. And the the reason, I mean, Tyler and I specialize betrayal, trauma, sex addiction. The reason we, we go there a lot is because that's a lot of the questions that we get. <laughs> that's, that's probably like 80% of the questions that we get every week. So that's why yeah. we have a lot of those but, topics. But we're very open to questions about anything else as well. So yeah. Well, Brandon, we missed a week. Uh, it sounds like you were out of town. Um, yeah, I was freezing in the mountains uh, <laughs> while the kids had fun. All, all the adults sat there like, when is this going to end? And the kids were like, let's let this go on forever. So I was up in the mountains and it was a cold front came through and it was windy. And, but it was, it was good. The kids had a good time. So. Good. Excellent. And I was, I was gone. So that's why we didn't get an episode out. We have, it's end of the year. It's our oldest daughter graduated from high school this year. So we were kind of wrapped up with all of those things. And boy, Brian, I tell you what, man, I you have these moments in life where you kind of get these snapshots and realize, wow, life sometimes moves a lot faster than we think it's moving. You're an old man. You got a graduate. You're an old fart. I know. I know. I'm, an old, Louise. I'm an old man. It's, it's funny because I sit and watch my daughter kind of going through this process and you can't help but have these snapshot memories of the time she was a little girl, you know, playing in the sandbox or going to the park or, um, it's, it's really funny how quickly those things move. So, um, anyway, uh, let's, should we jump into this today? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode today because we have an awesome guest who's been willing to come on our show today. Yeah. His name is Daniel Burgess. He's a master's and licensed marriage and family therapist and he specializes in sex, sexuality and relationships. He's also worked as a consultant in Silicon Valley, as well as volunteered within the community in various different roles. He's a blogger, speaker, and author of Reconciling Our Divine Sexual Identity. He also runs an engaging and informative Facebook group, which I am actually have been on before and I'm a part of. Uh, it's dismissing or sorry not dismissing discussing marriage and sexuality yeah, and let's not dismiss it <laughs> that's, that's right. the opposite right. of my yeah. goal yeah exactly <laughs> in fact in fact you're doing you're doing in many ways you're doing the opposite of that in fact you're yeah. bringing to light many different things and it's called improving intimacy in latter-day saint relationships and uh in many ways you know daniel is uh you know, Brandon and I, we both feel like we're sort of on the front lines of something that we've really have a lot of passion for. And in many ways, Daniel is right there on the front lines engaged in, in this same arena and area 
of, of trying to help people. So Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. Um, we're going to, we're going to just kind of start. This is a question that's been posed by me in several posed by clients to me in several different ways in the last few weeks. And I think that Daniel's going to have a really good perspective on this to also discuss. I had a client just a couple of days ago come to me. It's a man who's trying to kind of work on some recovery from betrayal. They've had, you know, a couple of affairs that have gone on in the relationship. And he came he, to he, me. He, Tyler, he betrayed her. He, be, he betrayed her. Okay. So he betrayed her and she has since just barely started coming to like group for betrayal trauma. Mm-hmm. And he came to me and he said, Hey, Tyler, I'm, I've got a concern because I kind of feel like maybe the group is doing more harm than good. I'm afraid mm-hmm. that she's just coming to group and she's just kind of getting, you know, fed full of how much of a victim she is and they're feeding her anger and her frustration. And, and it almost feels like it's pushing us in the wrong direction. And so the question today that I want to discuss is really for betrayal trauma to group or not to group and, uh, and what, what would be the benefits pros and cons of doing a betrayal trauma group? If I've experienced betrayal in my, in my relationship, in my marriage, you want me to take it off from there? Hey, go for it. (laughs) So so that's that's a a great question. So the first thing I want to recognize is, uh, stereotypically, uh, women are the ones who are experiencing uh, betrayal trauma. So I want to recognize, first of all, we got three men here discussing (laughs) something that women typically experience. um, And I want to kind of break that stereotype also, because uh, a couple, so I'm going to approach this a couple different ways. First, I'm going to answer. Yes, absolutely. As, as both of you know, full well, we never want to be in isolation, especially through traumatic periods in our life. We want to find commonality and find support and strength. Uh, and so that question is a wonderful one. And I would say the answer is yes. We want to have a support network. I do have a caveat there and, and I'll come, come back around to that, but I want to hit on the first point. I was excited that you, at first I thought you were talking about a man who had experienced betrayal because this actually happens a whole lot yes. more than society. And we as therapists, uh, I think recognize generally, uh, and we don't support them. Uh, in fact, yes. there's a very powerful underlying, uh, what am I trying to say there? Um, kind of this, this idea that betrayal only happens to women. And there are actual organizations out there that really promote that. No, men Mm -hmm. cannot experience betrayal. Um, And and they foster this this idea that they're the sex fiend, they're the, the, uh, you know, um, hormone-induced people who can't control themselves. And there's that narrative there. Uh, And I'm not trying to speak in hyperbole, but this this is what clients are bringing to me. And I have a have many husbands who are coming to me and saying, I'm hurting. I don't know where to go. And I'm told I'm not allowed to hurt. And I'm, I'm talking about husbands who've been betrayed. Uh, but let's come back to, we, we could discuss more about, about that, but I thought that's a, an important hey, idea. Daniel, Daniel, before we go on to the, to our other question, um, mm-hmm. why do you think that is? Why, why do you think that it's, it, we, we jump quickly to treating betrayal for women um and men don't it gets really, dismissed because we see the same get thing addressed. You're, yeah you're right i see it all the time yeah well I, I think that's our fault to be honest uh we we have been men speaking uh speaking of men 
um, have been the ones who kind of decided how sexuality should be throughout history and, and how that should be displayed. And also we got this very powerful male stereotype, you know, you got to just, you know, buck up, buck, and, buck up put, and deal with it, deal with it. And uh, it's life. Um, we're, we're not allowed to hurt. We're not allowed to cry. We're not allowed to experience pain. Um, and if we do, we're, we're sometimes, you know, I'm kind of buying into that trope a little, but it plays out pretty powerfully in men's lives, whether they speak about it or not. Um, it's, it's a, it's a paralyzing and invisible experience. And I, I want to be clear here for, for especially women who are listening, who've experienced betrayal. I am no way comparing, you know, what I, there's no way to, you know, understand right. exactly what you're right. going through, but men are left alone in this experience. And uh, I can't tell you how many times men have been betrayed over and over, and then they get angry. And then they're, they're, they're accused of being angry, not being able to have, uh, you know, patience or be able to be calm. And so when they're acting out their trauma, they're beat up more for it, and they're not allowed to speak about it. So that's my general assessment of it. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I mean, I see it exactly what you're saying. And my experience is that, um, and, and it's because of some of the things you said, is that women generally are more likely to seek out treatment and help and kind of drag their husband to treatment if they've been betrayed. Mm-hmm. Whereas men don't. Men, men kind of want to stuff it and say they're okay and get over it. And, yeah. and so so we don't hear about betrayal of men nearly as much as we do the other way around. And so that, then it turns into this kind of this paradigm of like, well, yeah, like 90% of betrayal is men betraying women. And, and I don't, I don't, I know that's not the case yet in my world. That's what I see all, all day long. Right. So yeah, I'm glad think, you brought this up. I, I yeah. think, uh, yeah, I, I think that I was just Brandon, I was thinking of the story that when we were children, kind of to what Daniel's point is, is do you remember being down at grandma's house the day that our cousins, we had Brittany and Ashton, our cousins and uh, Brittany snuck up behind Ashton with this big wooden thing. And she like <laughs> clubbed him in the back of the head. And then he of course, like went crazy. Like, <laughs> Oh, like, Oh dad. And he went, and we went furious. And then what happened is his dad came in and who got in trouble. Yeah, he, he, he did. Dad said you shouldn't have provoked. He said, her. he said you shouldn't have provoked her, and you just got you, you just got beat up by a girl. And right. you know he he shamed him for having been basically in a, in a certain sense blindsided, and right. uh, and and that's just that's just an example of like I think what the culture kind of says, and that's why we probably, I mean, we see it in our offices, Brandon, but it gets spoken kind of behind closed doors after things of like after a relationship has been developed and after we like have real trust with them, then they feel safe enough to say, Hey, by the way, this has happened to me. Um, but we don't, we don't get it as much as we do with women. I legitimately years ago, I had, I had these clients and, um, they were coming because he was masturbating and looking at porn and they, they were coming for like a year and a half and like a year and a half into it, she said, well, you know, I like, I look at porn and masturbate all the time too, mm-hmm. you know, and it's interesting because I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, we're, we're focused on his behavior. We're focused on what he's doing. And Oh, by the way, this is happening with for me. her too. Uh, oh, but that that's an, Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. you, you know? Yep. I, I, I love that you brought that up. That is something I see so frequently. And I think that's my concern. So when we talk about getting support, 
just like anything, uh, whether you have cancer, betrayal, trauma, or any other type of uh, traumatic experience in your life, or gosh, even ADHD support groups, I think they're all valuable. Where I get concerned is how we define and measure success. Often I see this is where things go awry um, and that there's a lack of clarity and these groups sometimes become a fostering of the trauma. And I see exactly what you're talking about. They, they tend to define things in very specific ways that make it unacceptable for men to have sexual urges and desires, but perfectly acceptable for women to have sexual desires. So I'll have wives who will openly acknowledge, yeah, I will watch this sensual movie because it just, it's exciting to me. And then, so these are actual real, um, I'm keeping it vague, but real, real statements to me where, you know, he, he saw a movie and it had a nude scene. He, he had no idea was in there and um, he slipped, right? It's defined as a failure and he has to now go repent. He has to go, you know, start over whatever his process is. And so there's this disparity in how we measure success, how we identify a problem. Um, And and again, I want to be very clear. I I think I have to be because I get a lot of pushback on, well, you're just re-traumatizing people. And that's another phrase that I hear a lot is when we try to introduce success, um, it's perceived as minimizing people's trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's those are the issues where I get concerned and I want feedback as I'm working with clients. Are, are you a happier relationship? Is things getting better? How are you measuring success? Um, and how do we know it's working? How do we not know it's working? And that, those are the questions I think are important to ask. It's uh, So here's a couple kind of examples and thoughts. Um, you know, when she's like, enjoying outlander and and watch there you it. go and, <laughs> yeah. and that, that's okay <laughs> that's okay and it's like it's like oh yeah like she's you know she's kind of it's kind of exploring her sexuality a little bit and enjoying outlander and whatever um but if you know if he were watching outlander by himself uh it could be a big problem mm-hmm. and it's interesting i i love i love finlayson five jennifer finlayson five i love she's her great. she's great um, and it's really interesting what what her niche is and what her platform is, which is empowering LDS women to be sexual. And yeah. it's interesting, like um, if if I yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, if I became the her for men for for LDS men of like, hey, be more sexual, explore your sexuality, and explore yourself, and it would it could very much trigger a lot of things, and it could be looked at as bad and that shouldn't happen. Um, and, and, uh, and I don't think like I, I, Daniel, I think this, like when we look at betrayal itself, um, there's the, there's the sexual piece of it, the, the, the doing whatever you do. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's this, there's this thing about sexuality that I think is kind of misunderstood, which is that I am a sexual being and yes. I have my sexuality, and um, and my spouse, whether I'm a man or a woman, they want me to stay faithful. They they want their mate to be faithful with them, right? Yes. And so, so does my sexuality um, jeopardize that? 
and and if it does then i better stuff it i better subdue it i better hide it i better not have it and it that actually has an opposite effect it has an opposite effect on trust and safety and connection in exactly. a relationship with, with yourself and your partner yes absolutely both. it porn has uh, damaged us as a society in ways we don't talk about. We talk about the obvious, how it's fake, how it's, you know, potentially sex trafficking and, and all these other risks and dangers. But there's an aspect of it that we never talk about. And it's what you just brought up is um, it's teaching us to objectify men. Uh, it's not just teaching us to objectify women. We generally perceive men as you know, if they, if they had done something that is betrayal or had acted out on their sexuality, we now look at them as this sex fiend creature that's incapable of having healthy sexual feelings. And that's, that's a, where did that idea come from? You, you brought up a a phenomenal point. And I've tested this in my group where I've had, uh, female moderators or admins post something very similar to what I've posted. Um, and I will get, um, question and hard pushback. Like that's, that's, that's inappropriate. We perceive it when it comes from men as gross or something weird. Uh, but when women make similar statements, it's perceived as beautiful and brave and, uh, good. And this is, this is a, where did this concept come from? that men are not allowed or not capable of having a beautiful, sexual, healthy desire. And I see exactly what you're talking about. They suppress it. I had one client who is so scared of experiencing desire that it would lead them, you know, acting out anyway. uh, He hadn't had sex with his wife for five years Mm -hmm. and he never even told her that he would wake up before her and leave the room. So he didn't happen to see her getting undressed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who's teaching them this? And how do we teach people to have healthy sexuality while also recovering? I think that's important, but we're not talking about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Daniel. And I think that that's, that's where I think it comes back to the question about, you know, the support that you're getting and the groups that you're getting into. So on one hand, you're saying, yeah, pornography actually does more damage in both areas, not just objectifying women, but objectifying men. And then men become, men become villainized. And then all too often, well said, all all too often, the man then goes to a group that reinforces the villainy and tells him to shut down his sexuality Mm -hmm. because, because there's so much nuance in recovery. And when you, when you're saying, Hey, look, I have maybe misused my sexuality in some ways, and I still need to be a sexual being it's too easy to just be like, Nope, shut it down. If you don't act out, you'll never mess up again. Everything will be fine. And then it kind of like fosters shame again. And it continues to leave them in that position of like being, being less than or one down. And it actually then reinforces that on the betrayed side Yes. to say, to say, yep, like he, he acted out or he looked at a woman or he did this or he did that. And, and, and that's where I think a lot of these groups end up that aren't necessarily effective is the nuance to the betrayed is, is that there, there actually really is because of the fact that there's this bond that's been betrayed. There, there really is a shaking of trust. There is an element of trauma that happens for these people. And, and then they get into group. And the hard part for a therapist, I think, is how do you validate the pain and the trauma 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and at the same time try to help foster moving through that and finding healing and being able to lean back into trust eventually. Yes. And, and that's hard to navigate for a lot of people. So it then becomes an on the betrayed side. It's just like, yep, everything he did was abusive. And you just, you just hold the line and put a big wall up and never do anything. And then, Correct. And, then and then they never get better because they get stuck in that place of what used to be validation for the trauma becomes almost enablement to stay in the trauma. Correct. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you're saying it and not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, this, I have, I have been concerned about this for some time and, and there are some, there are definitely betrayal groups I recommend out there. Um, and it's important to get that support, but this is exactly what I've been seeing is okay, anything taken to an extreme, ironically is going to be bad. And I'm seeing this with the lens of betrayal trauma is it's, we start to view our partner, it's, it's this type of catastrophizing. And the, where, where maybe the husband was looking at hardcore porn, um, over time, part of his recovery dictated by the betrayal trauma experience is don't get anywhere close to that. So it will become like, get rid of your Instagram, get rid of anything anything, don't get rid of all your magazines out of the house, anything that could have something that could potentially trigger you. So what we've done is we've reinforced this negative cycle without actually, and the person has essentially eliminated, they've become a monk in in some ways, and they haven't learned how to experience life. And this is where this type of treatment is different from chemical dependency. It's a big difference. We do need to have sexual, healthy sexual connection in our life. Um, we can't just eliminate it. And when you, when you go down this path, you create a lot of confusion and separation in the relationship. And we need to start talking about how we can introduce more healthy. It's, it's frustrating because I want to write this book. I've got the idea, but I want to call it, I didn't marry a therapist and (laughs) we, 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 we victimize or we villainize our partners because they aren't excellent communicators. Whoever taught us how to be excellent communicators, our parents? No. I mean, I'm assuming uh, in society, we haven't learned how to do what we teach as therapists in our homes growing up. If we have, you're a rarity. And yet when things break down in a relationship, I, I feel like I'm having to be very careful here. I want to be very clear. There's clear difference between outright abuse and, um, um, risky, dangerous behavior in a re- relationship that definitely you need to draw lines in. And I'm not entertaining any idea where, uh, you know, I'm telling people to stay in an abusive relationship. However, we aren't aware of how, or we haven't learned how to have healthy relationships. And so when we victimize or villainize, excuse me, our partner, because they didn't know how to communicate we call it now secrets. We call it now betrayal. We need to look at their past. How have they been traumatized? Have they been taught to be open about their sexual desires growing up? Or have they been taught to hide it? Well, it's not going to change when you get into marriage. And so when people start now accusing their, their spouses of, I can't believe you hid this from me, they, they talk as though it's in a vacuum. Like they were the ones who were betrayed alone. Well, no, he probably never even learned 
how to communicate this. When we talk about stereotypical men, we don't, we are not taught how to communicate. Like I say to the beginning, we don't know how to cry. We don't know how to confess. We don't know how to experience things. And so why do we think they're going to act like a therapist, the skilled communicator in this relationship? And we never even talk about that. We just reinforce how bad their behavior was. And then they're uh, punished for any time that they try to do better. You know, I, I'm going to immediately confess. I can't believe you did this. You're horrible. You, they, be, they don't say things like, that must have been really tough. That hurts me. But I'm very proud of you being able to come to me immediately. I realize you've never had a history of being able to do that. Being able to communicate messages like that, foster trust, foster healthy relationships, allow people to recover. And that's my biggest thing when I do treatment is I don't expect anybody to be perfect. And what I measure is how well you recover. You're going to slip. And I don't want you to be so focused on fighting that slip that you don't know how to recover well. Mm -hmm. So I realize it just dumped a, a ton of information there, but it's, that's the frustrating thing. And to your point, how do we teach this? How do we introduce this idea without making the person who's been betrayed feel minimized? It's a tough question, especially coming from a, a male therapist. Well, I hear all the time, <clears throat> here, here's some, some words, some things that I hear and it just makes me cringe. Um, one is, is there's your addict. There's the addict. There it that's, is. Your, that's your addict. Yep. Your addict. Yep. So every time he communicates poorly or is grumpy with the kids or, you know, is a, it's is, a, he's acting is, out, is a human in mm -hmm. many ways, there's the addict. And the other thing is abuse. And I, I, I think that calling abuse abuse is very important. Mm -hmm. Call, calling, but, but there's, there's two sides to that coin, which is calling abuse abuse is important. But when you call things that aren't abuse, abuse, that's, that's damaging and that's dangerous. Very damaged. Yeah. And, and so I, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. I, I ran a group this week and it was a group with couples in it. There was about maybe 20 couples in there and we had a guest speaker and she was incredible and she was awesome. And she came in and, um, and she, she shared her story. She's talking about how her husband cheated on her with her best friend. And, you know, pretty extreme stuff. And then she, she pretty quickly got to how she has positive regard for her husband and has compassion for his pain and an understanding for the struggle that he's been through, through his addiction his entire life. And it almost got a little bit uncomfortable in group. Because a lot of those people wow. who are coming were are in this place of anger and yes. and pain and and so and so that positive regard for for the betrayed people in group was almost like what like what do you see the the disconnect yeah. there? Mm -hmm. Yet here's the interesting thing, Daniel. Um, I've worked with this person for a long time, and her having that love and positive regard toward her husband that that's not about her like her being a good person to set him free that sets her free Bingo. That, that's a new level yes. of recovery for her that's yes. that's the nuance that i think you were pointing out daniel so brandon and daniel both i i know right now that we have listeners 
who just heard everything you said and they're taking exception to it and oh, going I, I, for sure and going you're you're totally letting the addict off the hook you're you're giving them excuses um and yet i think the point that you're trying to bring out is vitally important for that reason and i'll just add another witness because i had something happen in one of my groups this week too we had a we had a male come and speak about how he had betrayed his wife to our group and while he was talking we had probably about 20 couples in there as well and um and one of the women raised her hand and said so what were some of the things that helped you to get better in your recovery and helped you heal your relationship and he said he actually looked at me and he said i'm afraid to say this and yes. i said i said well go ahead and say it like what do you need to say and he looked at the group and he said i i don't want to diminish anybody's pain mm -hmm. or anybody's trauma but my wife figured out how to let go and forgive. And it changed everything in our relationship. Yes. And, uh, and he said, it helped motivate me to want to be a better man. It gave space for me to go to work yes. and, and she suffered less as a result. But, now, but, but, but Tyler, but Tyler, there is an order, right? So like yeah, yeah. if, and, and sitting in that pain and having validation in your pain is like, if I, if I have a, a client come in first thing, she's been betrayed and I'm like, okay, if you can forgive him, you can forgive everything will get better. <laughs> She's like, uh, and, and I've actually heard church leaders and other yeah. therapists say things like that. And I say, no, like, no, she, it's okay for you to feel pain, anger, mm -hmm. sadness, frustration, all those things, all those things. In fact, getting validation in those emotions is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but there's an and. Right? Yes. And, and that's where we get that. That's where a lot of groups and, and platforms and things get stuck. They stay right there in the anger. It's almost, it's almost like, you know, we talk about this a lot, but like when we look at like overcoming betrayal, there's an element of even some of the elements of the grieving process where you have that denial and then you have your bargaining and then you have your anger and depression and eventually you move to acceptance. And, and too often, I think it's too easy to get stuck in anger. And too often the way that the group mentality gets handled in those betrayal trauma groups, it it's limited because it doesn't have the next steps after the anger. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's where people it's get the, stuck and stay it's miserable. The easy thing, Tyler, I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen with, with some therapists I work with. It's the easy thing for the therapist to fall into that trap because it's easy for me to sit and, but invalidate you and validate you and validate you. You get a but, lifetime client. Yeah, but they're not getting better. Yeah. And and it's hard to start to push. Like, hey, because that's when it starts to get uncomfortable when a betrayed person is like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. Why why do I need to change? Why do I need to do my work? Why do I need to forgive? And then we can go back to, yeah, he sucks. Like this is but that doesn't help them. And it doesn't help them move forward. So it's mm -hmm. easy for therapists to fall into that trap as well. Yeah. Can we, can we balance, can we balance the acceptance of where they're at and validate their pain at the same time that there is a push for change? That's yes. the dialect. That's the dialectic of therapy. And that's the dialectic that I, I believe that the best groups have, whether that's an addiction group or a betrayal group, it doesn't matter. It's, can I balance acceptance and change? And can I foster what we call the middle path, which is, you know, there isn't a lot of uh, at, the, at the extreme ends of things, black or white usually isn't the answer. There's, mm -mm. there's going to be some middle path. Yeah. And I think we're up against a, a couple of challenges. We as, as therapists in general is 
this increase of betrothal, uh, betrothal, tr- uh, boy, I can't speak today. Betrothal, uh, betrayal, betrayal, betrayal trauma. trauma. Boy, my mind is just not working this morning. Sorry about that. I was actually up all night with my new pup, and so oh, man. I only have a few hours of sleep. Anyway, uh, so we we got this culture that's pushing this narrative, right? That's uh, we're we're not allowed to teach how to be a healthy couple. Um, and it minimizes pain, but that's the nature of therapy is getting better. How do, how do we yes. motivate our clients? And so we are up against our own, uh, fellow colleagues who are teaching an idea yes. that is setting us up for failure because it's communicating. There's literal group, there's groups out there that are literally teaching. If a therapist, I want to put it in my words, challenges you to explore more healthy behaviors, they are denying you of your trauma and you need to fire them. How it, dare it's, they? It, it's, it's mind boggling and it's, they're buying it. And then they'll even associate, they are pro porn. If they do this, I have, I have been labeled that. So it's, I. A, it's a very toxic culture. And again, the, the irony of it, it, it's the only thing that, well, I, I won't say only, uh, it's probably one of the only things in our profession that we don't encourage healing, true healing uh, from. We, we foster this idea of, a, of course, it's okay to be traumatized and, and experience that. We're not going to deny you of that. Is there a next step that you're ready for? Yes. Oh, how dare you? How dare you? This is, this is horrible. And the other aspect is assessment. I, it was heartbreaking. I, I, I guess I, I, I never want to get used to these experiences and stories, but they're hard to listen to. One individual, um, been in addiction recovery for five years, five years. She'd been in betrayal trauma treatment for just as long. Not, at no point in that experience, did any therapist ever do in an assessment? He'd been to three different ones, not, not even to mention his, his leadership in church. Um, I did an assessment. The reason why he got checked in to uh, addiction recovery was because he, I, he looked at a IMDB movie image for longer than she expected him that yeah. he should have done. Yeah. I, this guy, it, this is, this is actually not uncommon. It, it's not very common. It sounds crazy, Daniel, but it's not uncommon. I can't tell you how many times I have worked with people who've been in addiction recovery and uh, their wife has been in betrayal trauma. And I'm like this, I know how this is going to sound. They're a saint. I don't, in fact, this particular person never even looked at porn when he was uh, a teenager. He just got curious one day about this movie and he was fascinated. And he, he told me today, he says, I wasn't even looking at her breast. It was just, I thought the movie was fascinating. I was reading up on it and she had this perception and I've, I've shared this story with people in, in betrayal trauma. And they immediately say, they go to the worst case scenario, but not actually hearing what I'm saying is, we need to do better assessment. Yeah, because you're not treating. And Daniel, I've had that happen so many times. Where okay, I'm like, not alone. 
Yeah, and 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 uh, you're not treating an addiction. Then you're treating an anxiety disorder. It's so there's some form of scrupulosity. You're and and then you're, there's also anxiety on the spouse's part as well, right? And I, I looked at a movie trailer, and now I'm in sex addiction treatment for five years. Um, <clears throat> there's anxiety there, and if you don't assess that and find that, then you, then you're going to be you're shooting at the wrong target. Mm-hmm. And wasting a lot of time and a lot of money. I, I think I think I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and just kind of add to the other side of the scale a little bit to what you guys are saying, just to kind of bring some contrast as well. Um, just thinking of a client I have had who he came to group, same thing. Um, the the whole reason he came is because for the last like five years he's had a slip with pornography about once a year, and. Um, and I go, well, geez, like that doesn't sound like a full blown addiction to me at all. Like, um, that, in fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even like rank that as an addiction. And yet he was there saying, well, it's enough of a problem for me that I definitely want to Now, This is him saying it. It is it's not his wife saying he's an addict. He's saying, Hey, look, I've, it's, it's a problem. Like, I don't like that. I still have a slip once a year. So I want to come and I want to do these things. And, and I think if you if he wants to pursue treatment to try to overcome this thing, there's still some things underneath it. There's some anxiety. There's some other stuff that's going on there. He could benefit from the principles that you teach in terms of like wholehearted recovery. When you talk about being shame resilient Mm -hmm. and a lifestyle, Mm -hmm. all the lifestyle things of connection. And of course he could learn about things like habit loops and stuff that could be beneficial Mm -hmm. to him. But, Mm -hmm. um, but the, but the, the label of addict is not going to be helpful for him. Mm -hmm. Um, but Tyler, I gotta, I gotta say, I, I, in essence, agree with you. But if, if you treat that guy like he is this raging addict, then that's what he really believes he is. So that's if you throw, point. if you throw him in the group with a guy who's acting out with prostitutes every week, <laughs> and his wife is looking at him in that camp of like, yeah, well, he's a sex addict. He, he looked at porn once this year. He's that then then you're actually reinforcing a lot of the damaging identities and beliefs that are that are going to help him show up powerful and masculine and safe with his wife and so i think we need to be careful yes i agree like hey go get some help if you don't want to do that that's great but if that help is let's reinforce a belief about yourself that's absolutely not true and we haven't right. assessed that then that's a problem mm-hmm. And, and that goes back to what I was saying is we're up against a very difficult thing because the moment we start to assess it, it could be perceived as minimizing the trauma. And that's, I've seen that firsthand. It's like, I've shared with these clients, okay, I'm hearing, uh, you're actually not having a problem. When you look at for five minutes, once every two years, this sounds like, uh, I'm not sure exactly what this is. Uh, immediately. What are you doing? Are you denying my, my trauma? He's betrayed me. No, I, I not saying that at all, but do we want to get good? And that's the question is, do we want to heal? Do we want to recover? And when I present it in that way, um, it's again, this idea that this is the only area in our profession. It seems like we don't want to do better. We don't want to find out better treatments, uh, more effective solutions. We want to heal entirely. We, we speak of eliminating porn out of people's lives, but what are we doing? I mean, with cancer, 
we're constantly searching for better solutions, better methods, better, better recovery, all this. But are we doing that with betrayal trauma? Are we doing that with addiction? Um, how are we improving as, as professionals? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a, there's an ingredient that, that we, um, that needs to always be considered, which is if a client goes out and I had a client who took a double take at a grocery store, there was a beautiful woman and <laughs> he looked at her twice right, and went home and with his tail between his legs and, and, uh, confessed to his wife and, then they went through this relapse protocol where he was punished for a while right. and 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 but there's there's an ingredient that's there as well which is which is her past um experience and yes. trauma you know so so whatever whatever he does you mix that with her past experience and trauma and that's what kind of blows up in the relationship mm -hmm. and and you know one one spouse might say that's that's not a relapse that doesn't affect me that doesn't that's fine like whatever while another spouse might say i can't that's... handle that that is a big big deal and you have a problem and 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 daniel i think what you're saying is it's really really hard in those moments of fear and pain to address the partners experience and trauma to say like the way you're looking at this might be causing you a lot of pain and suffering because they don't in that moment, the last thing they need is any blame. Sure. Exactly. Even and it's, though, it's natural that they're feeling that. So it's hard to, it's hard to try to point that out and, and tease those things out to say, again, how do you balance? I see your pain. It totally makes sense why you're there and why you're having this response. And is there something that could liberate you? Is there something that could that free you from this? And, and that's, I think that's really hard to do. And a lot of therapists, the reason we stay kind of where we're at with things is that those is that we don't know how to navigate the, that middle ground. But, but oh, go ahead, Daniel. And we teach limiting language too. Like I, Brandon, you shared a perfect example here. I double looked or I had a double take with at the grocery store with this woman. Now I'm going to confess. And now we're not creating connection. What no. we've done is we created a uh, confession cycle, uh, right? My wife gets to have desires. Yes. She gets to have thoughts and feelings. I would be concerned if we went to our gym and she didn't think some dude's abs look cool or exactly. good. Exactly. If she came to me, I, I want her to be able to say, yeah, <laughs> dude, Alex, Alex has some ripped abs. Those are awesome. That's, that's a connecting. She just invited me into her intimate world. She's opening up. She opened up to me and she allows me to do the same, but we don't teach how to use those as opportunities to connect and build trust. We see it as betrayal. And so those who are betrayed, I, I think sometimes we're pointing the finger at the wrong people. Yes. Again, definitely betrayal happens, but we are also taught to be betrayed in how we are raised. We are not allowed to have any sexual thoughts or desires or feelings of any sort outside of the person we, we uh, are in love with. That's, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's like saying, I can't enjoy, uh, it's probably a dumb analogy, uh, enjoy other cooking. I can't ever go to a restaurant if I don't enjoy my wife's right. food. I, I realize that that analogy could break down fast, but my point is, is we are, 
human beings and we are more than just objects. We can control our desires. We could have them appropriately. And we, we can learn how to communicate with our spouse that way. Oh my goodness. That's cool that you shared that with me. I didn't realize that was something you enjoyed. Yeah, that is. And then she's turning her desire to me. I have no concern that that's going to lead her in some betraying act. I, because we have that trust, we have that ability to have that conversation and, and we don't control each other's desires. Safety and trust in a relationship will never, ever um, happen by force and control and fear. So like, hey, let, let's shut down each other and our sexuality so then I can have safety. Right. Safety and trust in a relationship comes through um, bringing things to the light, being honest, being open, being authentic, and showing your partner who you really are. And, and so that, and that's what you're talking about, Daniel. If my, my, my wife, um, <laughs> we've had a lot of contractors coming over lately um, to work on a house that we're remodeling. And there was this one contractor in particular that was like a good looking guy, you know? And I could tell she thought he was a good looking guy. And, uh, <laughs> and it was, it was, yeah, that's how, that's how this ended as, as we were laughing together, my wife and I, and I was like, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I was like, yeah, he is. He's a hot guy. Like he's a good looking guy. Like I can see why you think that. And she felt really safe with me talking about why she was attracted to that guy. And then, and then we had amazing sex. That is awesome. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so, yeah, like I, I have no fear that she's, like with the contractor at the house right now, you know, act, having sex. Yeah, you know, I have zero fear of that because we have trust there and openness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I love that experience. This is what we're missing. We're miss. when we talk, we, we, we seem to say two different things, right? We need to have connection. But then in our, in our treatment process, we don't teach connection and what that really looks like. We just foster this, this trauma cycle that, that you're bringing up earlier let's let's teach how to embrace each other's desires and what does that look like again like you pointed out earlier definitely in steps we're not going to teach that at the very first session but at some point we got to start introducing these concepts i have worked with so many and and i know this is going to sound uh disparaging i i have all the respect for people who work with the trauma uh boy i'm doing that today <laughs> betrayal trauma um and it, I like, I like I. your new term, but trauma. <laughs> we do that in our family with, with the married couples. We, we, we put their names together as, as one. Maybe that's what it is. I am also very dyslexic and ADHD. So on top of being sleep deprived, you're, you're getting the best of my speech here today. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, it, we, we need to introduce this. And it's at what point do we do that? That's a hard one. Every situation is different. Uh, but I'm going to back to the original question. Yes, we should have support. But we should also be constantly assessing, is it helping us get to our goal? And what is our yeah. goal? Is it to remain married? Is it to foster connection? And we should be working with individual therapists, not just a, a trauma group. I think we really do need counseling and how to have better relationships and what that looks like. Yep. And we don't really have good role models for that. Yep. Amen, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought it back around to the question because I do think that that's an important answer is that we should be looking at, is this helping me get where I want to go? And, and more specifically for those listening, if you're, if you're looking at getting support, yeah, if you find a group, 
you want to find a group that is going to validate your pain, but that is also going to push you to get better. And, and that's something to really pay attention to as well. Daniel, I thought um, with you coming on, I thought we'd disagree on some things and have some discuss. And uh, I think we're very much in alignment, um, at least on what we've talked about today. And um, I feel like we could talk to you for for hours and hours. So we will definitely have. I need more sleep first. Yeah, (laughs) we we would love to have you come back, Daniel. And um, Daniel, before before we wrap up, can you just let everyone know where and how to find you? Yeah, so that you can find me a couple of different ways. I, I run the uh, Facebook group called Improving Intimacy for Latter-day Saint Relationships. It's not just for Latter-day Saints. We have a mixture of single, all denominations, uh, members and not members. The idea there was to help people within a certain faith to approach this topic. But again, that's uh, um, um, Improving Intimacy in Latter-day Saint Relationships. Or you can look me up on uh, my professional site, which is Ascent Family Therapy, like ascending a mountain, Ascent Family Therapy. Um, but many ways to find me, even Google me. But uh, I, I appreciate your comment, Brandon. I think a lot of people, I'm not the best of writers. I think people have a, a perception of me sometimes. But when you meet me, I think we tend to agree more than we disagree. And I appreciate yeah. that. I, I thank you for that. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. I, I know that uh, a lot of our listeners are having all sorts of things roll through them right now. Um, if, you, if you are listening and you have questions or have other ways you want to discuss things, go to therapybros.com, submit a question and request to come on the show. And we'd love to have you on. All right, you guys have a good one. We'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you.